morning as we get ready to hear God's word, I'm going to pray. I'm not going to pray, just pray. I'm going to read um, the scripture. This is from Ephesians chapter 1, and I'm reading verses 15 through 18. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Well, good to see everybody again today. Um, whether you're here in person or you're joining us online. Make sure my mic's on. There we go. Um, so truly grateful for everyone's efforts with Kids Blast um, over the last couple of days. Between prayers and just everyone pitching in, we had 101 kids involved in this. Amazing turnout. 70-some people who were volunteering and helping out. And as you know, we are a church that really has an outsized focus on children. And, you know, we've got our preschool program, goes back 45-some years. We have people in here who actually started that program back then, and it's continued on. We've got our children's church every Sunday morning, and then, of course, our child care, both here and down in Midland. So we get to truly invest in hundreds of kids almost every single day of the week except Saturdays. So um, it really is a tremendous blessing for us. And the reason why we see this so important is because we all know how difficult it is to raise children. Um, it's always been difficult, but it seems to be getting even more and more challenging with each passing day. So that's why we want to be here for all the families um, to help you as you teach your children about Jesus, as you help them experience His love, and especially as you live out the fundamentals of your faith as a family. And so that's probably the key word for our church, fundamentals. We focus on it pretty regularly. Um, that's why we have our football. Not up here today. Um, it was up here. Um, we usually have our football up here. And every time we see a football, it reminds us of that really important notion of staying focused on the fundamentals in our day-to-day -day lives. And in particular, we've got some fundamentals here. You've heard them many times. We remind ourselves of them each week because we want to be about those fundamentals. So first and foremost, we are a church with a mission, and our mission is really clear. We receive it from Jesus. It's to go and make disciples of all nations. And so we do that in the tri-state region here. That is our focus. And we don't want to be the, one of those sleepy little churches that just meets on Sunday. We want to be about the business of the kingdom every single day of the week. So that's really important to us. And that's why we have those pillars. Hopefully you guys are all starting to plug into those. Many of them are taking off. Some really neat expressions going on there. Second. We are a church with flaws. Um, and that's why we say each week that it is okay to not be okay. And it's so important that we hear that because we don't want to be a church that sits in judgment on other people. Every one of us is in process at some level or another. But of course, we don't want to stay in that not okay place, which is why we have that third fundamental, and that's we love you enough to tell you the truth in the person, words, and works of Jesus. And currently, we're learning about that truth from the Apostle Paul as he writes this letter to the church in Ephesus. And this letter contains a whole bunch of information from Paul about what we are to believe as Christians. And beliefs are so critical because they inform our identities. And our identities end up shaping all that we do in our lives. So we've been using um, this tombstone to remind us of our personal identities because tombstones have some unique features. First, they have a birth date. And the birth date reminds us to think about this question, where did I come from? They also have a death date. And that causes us to consider the question, where will I go when I die? 
And then there's that dash in the middle that represents our life. It's really not that long, is it? But it causes us to consider the question, why am I here? So where did I come from? Where am I going? Why am I here? They're such important questions for us to consider because they form our identity. And as Paul teaches us about what it is that we believe, he helps us answer those questions. But he does it from God's perspective. And God tells us exactly where we came from. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world as adopted children. God also tells us where we're going when we die. We're going to go receive and claim our kingdom inheritance that we've been talking about. And third, God tells us why we're here. And we see over and over again, it's to the praise of His glory. And we can be certain about all of this because God seals His guarantee with a promised Holy Spirit that dwells within us. And Paul sums all of this up with this phrase, in Him. He uses it more than 100 times as he writes his letters throughout the New Testament. Being in Him means we are servants of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And embracing our identity the way God sees us changes absolutely everything. Our whole outlook on life becomes radiant with hope. We stop trying to do things to get into heaven because we realize we're already in heaven. And so it's really about our response. And we're not in heaven because of our belief or our behavior or any merit on our part, but simply because in love, God chose to adopt us before the foundation of the world. That's it. Our salvation is all God's doing. It's from Him. He chose us. It's through Him. He redeems us. And it's to Him, to the praise of His glory. And our response is really simple. We're to believe in Him. That's it. But of course, when we place our faith in Him, our behavior changes too. We can't help ourselves but to love God back, to be obedient to Him, and then to love others. You see, it's all about being in a relationship with the God of the universe, and that changes absolutely everything in our lives. And that's why Paul is so full of joy and thanksgiving as he composes his letter from a Roman jail cell of all places. In fact, he specifically states that it's for this very reason. It's because the saints in Ephesus are in him. It's because they've first placed their faith in the Lord Jesus, and second, they've expressed their love towards all the saints. Those are the two marks of a Christian church. Faith, our belief in the Lord Jesus, and love towards others, and that's our behavior. So believing and behaving are our response to all that God has done for us. And they're also the very mechanism that confirms our salvation. That's what Paul's taught us. And he's clearly encouraged by what he's heard about what's going on in this church. In fact, Paul seems to be elated that the church in Ephesus is on the right path. They're on that blue path you see up there. They're in Christ. Because when he met many of them for the first time, especially the Gentiles, those who were outside the Jewish faith, they were on that orange path you see up there. That's the path where people were focused on themselves and the things of the world. And we all start out there. 
It's that wide, dark path that leads to eternal destruction you see over there on that far graphic on the wall. Of course, others Paul knew, they were formerly Jews. They had rejected the world and followed religion, that gray path you see up there, but religion for the sake of religion leads to exactly the same place as having no religion at all, eternal destruction. It's only those who place their faith in Jesus and who convey love toward all the saints that are on that blue path up there. Now note, you can still get to that blue path from the orange path and the gray path. There's still a way there, but the blue path is the only path that leads into the kingdom of God, that inheritance we keep talking about. As Paul taught last week, we first come to believe by virtue of the Holy Spirit convicting us of our sin, calling us to repent, placing our faith in the Lord Jesus. Two carefully chosen words here. And Paul uses them to describe the object of our faith. The use of Jesus' name conveys the personal nature of this relationship. It's not just believing in what he's done, it's believing in who he is in an intimate way as our personal Lord and Savior, as we learned last week. He died for each and every one of us. And then the use of the word, the, the title Lord, conveys the authoritative nature of this relationship. He's not just our personal Lord and Savior. He's also our, the guy that we follow. He is our master. We are his servants. It's why we obey him, expressing love toward all the saints. And again, when we hear this word saints, they're the believers. Paul describes them as those who are faithful in Christ Jesus, those who contend earnestly for him. And just as our belief requires the Holy Spirit, our behavior also requires help from the Holy Spirit, especially this whole issue of loving others. If you think about it, it's just not natural for us to love other people. Most of us make pretty much of a nuisance of ourselves most of the time anyway, don't we? Particularly church people. Look around. Paul's specifically speaking to loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. As we learned a few weeks ago, we're fellow heirs of his kingdom. So we're called to work together of servants of Jesus, building up the church in faith and love. Faith and love, these two words always go hand in hand. You can't be the church and only do one of them because the Holy Spirit completes his work in us by working our belief, our faith, and our behavior, our love together. That's what moves us along that blue path you see up there. And that's why we encourage everyone to be a part of a church somewhere. Don't have to come, go to Formal, but be a part of the church, the body of Christ. And not just Sundays, but every single day of the week. It's also why we stream online. So you can stay connected as a church whenever you can't be here on a Sunday or if you happen to live outside of the region. But to be clear, we don't stream online so you can avoid having to hang out with church people. That's not why we do this. And I have to think there's many out there who do that because I know I'm tempted some weeks too, right? Just stay home, don't have to deal with these people. But here's the thing, that's what we're called to do as Christians. We have to work with other people. That's what it means to be a Christian. And I'm telling you, 
if you can learn to love church people, you can learn to love anyone. It's just the case. Also notice how Paul phrases it, toward all the saints. It's as if he wants the saints to take particular notice here, because Paul's essentially saying, we're all in this together, meaning we should stop making it so difficult for people to love us. Stop being a burden to other people, always caught up in yourself. And we're so prone to that, aren't we? In fact, if you ever find yourself saying, boy, that guy, he sure talks a lot, the only reason you're even thinking that is because you want to be talking, right? And so we do this all the time. But Paul is expressing his excitement because it appears to him as though the church in Ephesus has finally gotten over themselves. And that's huge. They stopped focusing on the things of the world, even their self-righteous religiosity, and especially themselves, and they placed their faith in Jesus. And by all accounts, they're focused on showing love to each other. They're behaving the way the church was designed to behave, in faith and in love. So because the church in Ephesus is faithful and loving, Paul does not cease to give thanks for them. He says, remembering them in his prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, is going to do something. And we're going to get to what that something is in just a second. But it's important that we stop and focus on a couple of key words here. First, Paul gives God thanks. Why? Because God has used Paul to set up a church in Ephesus, and it seems to be working. Think about what that means for us, because like Paul, we're all instruments of God as his servants. It's perhaps what struck me the most in my short time being a pastor. Operating within the construct of God's church is so different because you realize that you don't do things for God. You don't do things for the church. Rather, God does things through you. And that's so important for us to consider because in the world, Everything we do is for someone else or for some reason. We go to work and we're working for our employer. We do things for the family all the time. But that's just not how it works, especially when we think about God's plan for His church. So if you happen to see God working out in your life, that's probably a good thing, but that's not at all what Paul's talking about here. Paul is thanking God specifically that God's plan has succeeded in Ephesus. It's not about Paul, it's about God. Paul is thanking God that God has prospered Ephesus to the glory of God. All Paul did was respond to his commission. He was given the gospel message to take to the Jews, the Gentiles, the Roman authorities, and he did it. And when he did it, God used him to carry out God's plan. And just look what happened to that church in Ephesus. It prospered. They lived lives of faith and love. And that's as good as it gets. And that's what will happen to us too when we respond to our commission to go and make disciples. Second, Paul uses this word, remember. Paul remembers the church in Ephesus in his prayers. Why? Because they meant a great deal to him. He had personal relationships with them. They served Jesus together. They built those memories that were called to mind by Paul, causing him to thank God for them. 
Those are the kind of memories we built this last week, working with Kids Blast. You see, memory plays such a vital role in our prayer life as the Holy Spirit uses memory to call to mind people and things that we're to pray for. In fact, I would argue memory is one of the most powerful features in all of our lives. Each moment we're alive, it affords us the opportunity to paint an image on the canvas of our hearts. We call them memories, and they stick with us. And it's especially true whenever we interact with other people. Just think for a moment about the kind of images that have been painted on the canvas of your hearts over the years. It's Father's Day, so think maybe specifically about your father. Maybe there's memories in there of joy and encouragement, security, significance. But there's also probably because all fathers are flawed and sinful, some hurt, right? Memories of pain, actions, words, sentiments expressed. Those things really shape us. And as important as they are in our own lives, there's another question we need to think about. What kind of images have we been painting on the canvas of other people's hearts? Are they the kind of images that would cause them to call to mind our name and pray for us the way Paul is praying for his brothers and sisters in Ephesus? Or are they the kind of images that would cause us to want to avoid somebody or cause them to stumble in their call to love us? And that's perhaps a really important thing for us to consider this next week. What kind of images have been painted on the canvas of our hearts? And what kind of images have we been painting on the canvas of others? And then third, Paul addresses his prayer to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he uses these words, the Father of glory. And I love how all of Paul's prayers that are recorded in the New Testament, they're so reverent towards God the Father. He clearly has taken the Lord's prayer and the instruction we receive there to heart. When we, we see those famous words, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed it be thy name. Here Paul prays to the Father of glory, and he does so to position or prepare himself properly for his prayer. It's so important that we all place ourselves in the right position when we pray. In humility, as servants, coming before the creator and the sustainer of the universe, acknowledging that we essentially are standing on holy ground, just like Moses was, as we stand before the Father of glory. And we're only able to approach him because of the sacrifice that his son made for us by dying on the, on the cross for our sins. And also, what a reminder it is that we aren't to pray for our own glory. We're to pray for God's glory. And we see Paul do exactly that as he prays to thank God for all that God has already accomplished in the church in Ephesus. And then Paul prays to petition God for continued strength for his dear friends, that they might keep on. And that's the something I mentioned earlier that Paul is praying to the Father of glory for, that God might give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God, having the eyes of their hearts enlightened. So Paul's not asking for material things. He's not asking for health or prosperity or to remove suffering in our lives, like we tend to do with most of our prayers. Rather, he's thanking God for grace 
that's been received because they were simply not able to get on that blue path on their own. They needed God's grace. And then he petitions God for grace that's still needed because they can't stay on that path and they can't progress along it on their own. That goes for all of us. We're simply not enough unless he comes. We can't do it on our own. We need God to continue to pour his grace out on us by the power of the Holy Spirit that he's placed within us. And Paul knows that God desires to lavish the riches of his grace out over his people. So he asks for even more. We used this graphic a few weeks back because it helps us really appreciate the depth of God's love for us. That top line up there, number one, in blue, it shows us God's grace and his love. And the minute we experience it, we move to line two because we see the white bar, there's even more that we even thought we had. And with each additional grace and love we experience with God, we learn that it has even more on line three and line four to the point where we stand at the bottom of that graphic in the middle of his grace and love in that blue. And we look back over our lives and we can't see the beginning of it. And then we look forward and we see there's no end to it. God's love and his grace for us is simply unfathomable. And that's what Paul wants his friends in, in Ephesus to grasp so that they might know God in a more intimate way. That's what wisdom and revelation are all about. As the Holy Spirit makes the truth of Scripture come alive in our hearts, He reveals more and more of our God to us. He takes us deeper and deeper into our relationship with Him. How do we see that in these words? Well, the original Greek word used for knowledge here is Sophia, and it means the deep things of God. So Paul's asking, he's seeking, he's knocking that his brothers and sisters in Ephesus might go deeper and deeper down that blue path so they can know God more, to be in relationship with him, serving him, because that's the objective of the church, to serve God by carrying out his grand purposes that are going on behind the everyday ordinary scenes of life, behind the wars we see on the news, the natural disasters, things like inflation, pandemics, our relationship failures, the difficult bosses in our lives, the challenges, parenting. So this is a petition for a personal encounter with God, for God to meet his people in Ephesus again and again and again, day by day. It's for an experience of personal discovery. You see, we can't get that from someone else. We gotta experience it ourselves. It's an engagement with God that only comes when the Holy Spirit enlightens the eyes of our hearts to God's truth. There are moments when we experience an unmistakable sense of God's presence in our lives. And they can happen any number of ways. But for me personally, they tend to happen most often whenever I'm in Scripture. It's truly an amazing experience when the Holy Spirit uses God's truth to do a couple things in your life. First, he convicts you. When you are in Scripture, he opens the eyes of your hearts to see the gaps in your life, the flaws, the shortcomings, and he convicts you of them. He calls them to mind, especially because we're so good at hiding them, putting them away, ignoring them, 
building up walls around them, but he exposes them. And that's a very powerful moment when he does it. Another thing he does is he counsels us in Scripture. When we stand at those forks in the road in our lives, and we want to know, are we to go right, are we to go left? We are to go to Scripture, and Scripture will guide us. We see that we often plan our path, but the Lord orders our steps. And as we're in Scripture, He begins to reveal what we're to be doing, how we're to be doing it. In particular, to be joyful, to be prayerful, to be grateful. That always seems to be what we find in Scripture about the will of God in our lives. And then lastly, one of the things that I enjoy the most, whenever God does this for me, blows my socks off many days, is when He comforts me. Because this world scrapes us up pretty good. We get sideways with people, we trade paint with people, it gets rough out there. And when we get into Scripture, and when we ask the Holy Spirit to show us the comfort that God has, we see that He's walking alongside of us. He's been there every day, and He'll always be there. He reminds us of that, and it's so powerful. Because when we get a taste of truth, we crave more and more of it. We even begin to hunger and thirst for it. Because that's how we've been made. That's how God designed us. We begin to lose interest in the things of the world, even the things of religion, because we simply can't help ourselves but to passionately seek His face with all that we've got, going deeper and deeper down that path, being made more Christ-like by the power of the Holy Spirit every single day. That is what defines that blue path up there. That's what being in Christ is all about. So I'd like to close with a quote from C.S. Lewis, and it kind of compares and contrasts these different paths we've been talking about. He writes, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and lust and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because it cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We're far too easily pleased. Isn't that the truth? So easily pleased. We get so caught up in ourself, so caught up in our little worlds, so caught up in our religion sometimes. And even though where we live on this planet is an amazing place when you look around the globe, we're so fortunate to be here, but we also become fascinated by the mud pies of our little slums here in Beaver, Pennsylvania. When God wants to offer us a holiday at sea for all those who place their faith in Him, all those who are in Christ, both now and for eternity. Let's pray. Father of glory, Please give us a double portion of love for you. Lord, we want you more, and we want to want you more still, more than anything else that this world has to offer. Oh God, stir in us a hunger for you, an ache for your presence. You are the only one who satisfies. Thank you for the grace, the unmerited favor, that you've already given us. Thank you for calling us to repentance, to place our faith in Jesus as your adopted children, and for teaching us how to love others 
by the power of the Holy Spirit, which you placed within us. We come before you as a church in need of even more, a daily supply of grace, new mercies, new compassions to keep us moving along that narrow, well-lighted path. If left on our own, we'll certainly falter. So humbly deepen our dependence on you, we pray. We're simply not enough unless you come. And so we ask, seek, and knock. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.